0: This podcast is recorded in front of an unwitting audience. This is True Crime Kent. And we are back up. We are
1: back. We are. Now, I know we said in part one that this was going to be a two parter on, uh, on Ed Kemper, but after doing the research and doing the writing and, and all that whatnot, I've
0: realized that this is, uh, this is going to be a three-parter op. Oh, you know, and I was going to say, I was super, like, the level of detail you're putting into, to this is like, I, I haven't heard one podcast that's done it, you know, as thoroughly. So it's like, it's like you're, grabbing a bunch of podcasts and turn them into the best Ed Kemper ever. And I appreciate that. I appreciate, appreciate your level of, of, of effort on this.
1: Well, that was my goal here. Like I said, this is going to be the only... You know, aside from Ed Gein, I would say this is going to be the only... And Ed Gein really wasn't a serial killer. Right? He was. He just liked he liked putting his orifices... Actually, he didn't even
0: do that. He, didn't, he wasn't even a necrophiliac. He just liked Arts and crafts. Yeah. Right. I would say if he were serial anything, I would say he was a serial unpaid taxi driver. (laughs) Yes. I guess we'll
1: get to that. But not even, he wasn't even good at that because he could never taxi drive somebody with a heartbeat.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He was just driving around.
1: Ed Ed Gein was just an Uber for the deceased. That's all he was.
0: And he only knew one place to take (laughs) them. And also, it was a one-way ticket. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so one, one-way tickets everywhere. Oh my goodness. Well, okay, and and just for the listener, if you can't you can't tell, but I've put Kent through the ringer because we've th- this is going to be a three-parter, but part two is already a three-parter because my recording kept stopping in the middle of everything. So here we are again, trying. On, uh, on a second day of full recording, to this, so that we, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry.
1: Yeah, this is the second time we've recorded part two. I'm so sorry. So this is Ed Kemper, part two, take five, take
0: five. Yeah, right, because we tried yeah. a couple times. <laughs> oh, fingers crossed.
1: Now the reason this is so long up is because. um Ed Kemper was always the one, like I said in the first episode, that I was most interested in. But I've also found kind of a treasure trove of intro- – there's a lot of information on Ed. He talked a lot. He liked to talk. Yeah. Ed, boy, did he like to talk. He's like that aunt or uncle that you would have at every Christmas or, or, or Thanksgiving or something. You know, the one that's always got something to say. That, that was Ed, That was Ed Kemper.
0: Yeah, but interestingly, a lot of those people that always have something to say, they kind of have that perspective like everybody should, everybody needs to hear what I've got to say about. He didn't seem like a jerk, you know, he just had a lot to come out of his front face, whole mouth area. Yeah. Yeah. He he didn't seem, I know he didn't seem like a jerk.
1: And, but I mean, he did.
0: The proof is in the pudding. Yeah, I guess, you know, the biggest kind of a jerk, biggest Ed jerk. temper kind of a jerk, biggest jerk move, kill people that's and then
1: fuck their throat hole. Yeah, yeah, that is I would if I walked in, I'm just saying up that if I walked in on somebody that I didn't know and they had their little penis, because I know, like we said, you know, he was he wasn't packing. Ed may have been driving that 50 foot long 69 Ford Galaxy. His and he was seven foot tall, so his body was a Ford Galaxy, maybe. But in his pants, he had like a little, a little, a little Fiat, yeah. of, a Ford Festiva. So he had the body of a Ford Galaxy and the penis that, of a Festiva. So it was like a it was a Ford Festiva, but it was lifted. Yeah, a lifted Festiva. That's what. It, and like I said, if I walked in on a stranger with their fest with this penis in the throat hole of a decapitated head, I would be like. That guy's a jerk. That guy's a jerk. That's exactly how I would put it. Jerk move. So, yes, this three-parter, three-parter, this is going to be a three-parter, Ed Kemper. In my, uh, I mean, I can't make any promises, but I would like this to be the only three-parter we ever do. I don't even like doing two-parters, but uh, this will definitely probably be the only three-parter because, I mean, we're never going to cover a a big name like, I I prefer lesser-known cases.
0: Yeah, and if you were to do a two or three parter on something that that is lesser known, promise you this: I, I'm on this show, and I'll probably listen to this two part three parter that we're doing several times. So, I'm your biggest fan, buddy. I'm your biggest fan.
1: Thanks, thanks, op. You're welcome. Thanks. That was very sweet. That not a jerk, not a jerk thing for you to say.
0: Yeah, and usually in line with Ed Kemper, not a jerk thing to say is always is in the do part, not the say part. <laughs> so, you <yeah. laughs> know tbd
1: (laughs) now from a violence and gore perspective this part and part three but especially this part is going to be probably the most graphic we've yet to cover on tck and i mean graphic from a blood from a blood and everything and a gory and a disturbing standpoint not like the eli stutzman where we're graphic sexually you know we're not talking about Rim jobs or you know fisting yeah. or any of that. I, did we did we talk about? I don't don't remember. On Mel- male yeah. oral sex. I don't you know. think we
0: covered that. Nobody should have covered sex. it. Yes, yeah, not really a thing. Um, good good point on that though. Our audience seems to be crazy because you could talk gore and dismemberment all day long, but as soon as you mention wizards or you know get into certain territory about sexual proclivities. Everybody's got an opinion. <laughs> That's a no-no. That's a and no. thankfully, no more
1: wizards die in this story, which Yay. is what we at tck it's the word we use for cats. All the wizards, all the wizards w- were killed in the first in part one. Yes, we lost two cats in part one. We did, we did. And I'm so sorry about that. So yeah, this this and part three probably going to be the most graphic. We, we at least it's going to be the most graphic gore and violence-wise that we have covered. On TCK up until this point, because Ed here towards the end, toward, toward Ed got really uh he he got pretty silly there towards the end up. He got really he was really
0: silly. He got silly. He was very creative. He was uh, if uh, if YouTube or Instagram had been around back then, he would have been a success because he would have been a very creative creator with what he filmed. Um, you know, we've said it before, but he probably would take the macabre Ross approach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was a murder visionary. He really was. He was like Picasso. He was a trailblazer. Yeah, he was like Picasso, like a staccato stabbing Picasso. I don't know. That, that um, I'm, I understand where you were going. That didn't dock. Sorry. <sighs> Speaking of, have you ever heard of space docking? If this is an euphemism for like a
1: new sex move. So space docking, and this has nothing to do with the story, but it's a really funny thing. So space docking up is when an uncircumcised guy and a circumcised guy put the heads of their penises oh, together.
0: What? And ever. then
1: the uncircumcised guy rolls his foreskin Ugh, over the penis of the guy that's circumcised. No, and way. it looks
0: like one continuous penis. No one has thought of that. That's ever. space docking. No, that's. Why? Nope. I can't even. Uh, Pixar didn't happen. No, I'm kidding. Just kidding. D- just, it can't be real. Can't be real. Oh, gosh. So. So. <laughs> <laughs> bah. <Bye. laughs>
1: when we left. When- so, when we last left Ed Kemper on, on part one, he was driving around in his yellow 1969 Ford Galaxy 500 with that beautiful black leather interior and the black leather hardtop and that big rooming V8 engine. The year is 1971. He's wrecked a few motorcycles, too, actually. And on the second wreck, he won a cash settlement. When I ended up finding out, I believe in the part one I said that it was an undisclosed amount. I ended up doing a little digging and did find the amount. It was fifteen grand that he won in that settlement wow. after the second motorcycle wreck, and that's equivalent to ninety thousand dollars today. So pretty good
0: little chunk of change. Yeah, especially since the vehicle is not even worth that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, he he did have a few broken bones. He got injured, so I think it was more of a, a an injury settlement than mm. cover, reco- you know, covering the loss of his motorcycle. Okay. Yeah. So, with that money, he does buy the Galaxy. He moves out of, with that money, he moves out of Mama's house and gets an apartment in Alameda. So, he's got his own joint. He's got his own place at Alameda. And he moves in there with a friend. So, he had a roommate in Alameda. And the address of that apartment was 916 Union Street. So, And you can look that up on Google Maps. You can pause the podcast or or whatever you want to do right now and go to 916 Union Street in Alameda. And that apartment is still there to this day up, And it is almost completely identical today to how it was back in 1971 when all this went down. And the reason I know that is because I was able to dig up an old interview uh, from the local news channel that they did. And, and the lady, his neighbor, is being interviewed in front of the apartment building. And you got a great view of it. They give a beautiful view of it. Literally, the only difference now in that apartment building and... And the way it was then is they've only added a water fountain in the front, a small water fountain. Aside from that, it's virtually identical. Huh. So.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Further. I don't know. I didn't know what to to say. I I could have gone into, you know, did they maintain more of a native and Xeric landscaping, or did they maintain a traditional type? I didn't know where to go. There was a million directions, so just, huh, came out. Like, I stalled on that one. And nailed it. Stuck
1: the landing. (laughs) Sorry. So, furthermore, at the time that I was doing the research on this apartment, Which was probably about a week ago. Maybe not available now. But at the time, one of the apartment units in this apartment building was actually up for rent. And it may have been Ed Kemper's. You know, I I couldn't figure, I couldn't find out which one exactly that Ed was living in. But in this apartment building, one is up for rent. And and the rent for that room, for that apartment, now these are one bedroom, one bathroom studio apartments, $1,475 a month. And that's more than the mortgage. That I pay here and absolutely ridiculous. What? Like, I cannot fathom
0: living in a place like this. What uh, what town was this in? This is in Alameda. Alameda, right? Okay. I was going to look it up on um, Zillow. Did you do that? So
1: yeah, if you go to Zillow, type in. So right now, it's also up for sale. The apartment building is. Yeah. Or it was. It's not up for sale now. But at nine one six Union Street in Alameda. You can see the apartment building, and it's a kind of a beautiful looking building. It's a shame that
0: what Ed did in there. What's eventually. funny is Zillow has a frequently asked questions section. What is the walk score of nine sixteen Union Street? What is the what schools are assigned to the nine sixteen Union Street area? Nobody's asked the question. Did Ed Kemper live? <laughs> They should. They really should ask that question. Should be the number one question. It should be. I don't know what's going on here. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so he's living there with
1: a friend. Um, everything seems okay for for this Neanderthal, but he has a de- he he also has a decent job working for the California Highway Department. This, he actually had the same job that his grandpa that he murdered uh, a few years prior had, and had retired from. And, uh, you know, so he's working for the California Highway Department. He hasn't killed any more old people. Things are looking good for for this big 6 foot non Shrek mongrel. Aside from the fact uh, that, that Mama is still dropping in unannounced at his apartment and calling all the time like a jealous ex-girlfriend. So, aside from that, everything's going
0: good for it. Huh. Okay. <laughs> I feel like it's going to get worse.
1: It is. It is up. Now, not long after Ed gets his galaxy, Ed finally catches the eye of a beautiful young lady, and he manages to get her to go out with him on a date. Now, Ed's never been on a date before. He's never had a girlfriend. He doesn't even know how to talk to women. And uh, I would say that at this point, you know, Ed, if he wasn't so goddamn socially awkward, (laughs) you know, he at this point in time, he's he's six foot nine. He's tall, um, not a bad looking dude. Not, he's not, he's not a supermodel, but not a bad looking dude. He's slender still at this point in time. Um, he's intelligent. So I can absolutely see a, a pretty young lady uh, being like, well, yeah, I mean, he's at least good enough to go on a date with and see if there's something more here.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. You know, and I think it's funny. So many women, you hear you hear women say it all the time. And they're like, well, attraction isn't everything. I don't get that. I mean, I, I, I don't know
1: yeah I mean there's gotta be physically there's gotta be
0: it's that's just bullshit there's yeah there's gotta be something I, there i bless their hearts if they're serious about that but now that being said, people are attracted to different things, yeah just go into any r c or hobby shop in the area and there's bound to be some you know a a small group of girls in there playing dungeons and dragons with the boys and you
1: know well what i mean by that is physically oh like mm. we're not saying like if you're 500 pounds first off i mean that's not good for you it's not lose, probably lose the, lose the weight but there are people that are attracted to big people there are people attracted to small people like but there just does have to be a physical i don't know where, where what are we talking about well, right now uh, well, i
0: think where we were going with that is half thor bjornson do you know half thor is
1: no, is that
0: Thor's smaller brother? Yeah, you would think. Yeah, since Thor's a god, uh, half Thor. He's a semi god. Yeah, half Thor Bjornson is the mountain off of uh, Game of Thrones. That guy. Oh, I hated that show. Uh, that guy's a beast, though. He's he's like six foot seven thousand. His wife is just a tiny thing, and it makes me think. Like, have you ever seen a lemon on a lemon squeezer? Now, I have seen that picture
1: of him with his wife. Yeah, yeah. And how, I mean. It doesn't doesn't work. How does that fit? I, does not work. She's basically just a flesh lot to him.
0: Have you ever gotten garbage bags that don't fit the size of the garbage can that you got, but you still try to make it work? Yeah. 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 I've, yeah. Yeah. The healthy handles that they put in those things, you know, they just tear <laughs> out and you're like, this is going to work. You know, and it just looks like the the, the home of the, the sand monster on Star Wars. It just looks like that big crater. It's like all stretched out. Yeah, that's that's a visual I go with for Half Thor and his wife.
1: You know those donuts that s- the semi-truckers have to sit on to keep from getting hemorrhoids? Yes. He has to put like five of those around it before she sets that <laughs> so that she doesn't get impaled and die.
0: <laughs> like a little... It's like shims, <laughs> shim it up, shims, you got every time you're gonna get into me, you make a quick run to the Walgreens for condoms and a quick run to Lowe's for shims, tap, 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 yep, that's Hathorne and his wife. How do we get off on that? Uh, we were talking about
1: how somehow I had talked some pretty young lady. Into going on a date with him. Mm, yeah, I didn't get off on that. So I do go on a date, but Ed's never been on a date Op. Yeah, weird. But and and <sighs> Ed takes her to see a John Wayne movie in the
0: theater, and the name of that movie was Chisholm. Have you ever seen Chisholm? Yes, I have. I mean, it's it, I haven't. It's good. it's good. It's good. It's no. She wore a yellow ribbon. Um. But but. Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. Nobody else has seen that either, aside from you. It's.
0: It's. I'll just leave it at that. Uh, right, I've, it's I've no. G-
1: what you're saying is, it's it's no, you know, Mouse Hunt, which was a good movie. Yeah, well, it's no
0: The Borrowers. Yeah, yes. Okay, I'll agree with you there. Chisholm no. is no Flubber. Mm, depends. Uh, there's been too many to count. Like, to, wh- you got to define which one. It's like saying The Joker. At this point, we've got like nine to choose from. Right.
1: Chisholm is no Troll 2.
0: Troll 2. Trolls 2 or Troll 2? Troll 2. Troll 2.
1: Okay. The best, worst movie ever made aside from The Room. So Ed takes her on a date. He takes her to see John because Ed's obsessed with
0: John Wayne still. Mm. I'd put it. So I would just final word on that because my movie reviews count. Um, Chisholm, I would put somewhere between She Wore a Yellow Ribbon and War Wagon. You know, it's somewhere in between those two, right? Yeah.
1: Okay. So, anyways, Ed takes her. To, Ed takes her to see John Wayne's new movie Chisholm, and 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 that was playing at the Delmar Theater on Pacific Avenue in Santa Cruz, and that theater is still there to
0: this day. So that was Ed's favorite theater. I'm just proud we did that whole bit without saying anything about the name of the movie. That's funny. Look at us. We're like maturing or something. The name. The name of the movie was Chisholm. Yeah, I know. But think about all the places we could have gone with that. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Chisel. Speaking. That's of, about it. Yeah. All right. Moving on.
1: Chisel. Chisel. That was the only other. So. Okay. Where was I? I don't know. The Del Mar Theater at Pacific Avenue in Santa Cruz is still pretty much identical. It's still there. And that was Ed's favorite joint to go see movies. Now, afterwards, after seeing Chisholm, which she probably didn't want to see anyway, he took her to Denny's. Oh. Bad move. Bad move. The woman wasn't interested in another date afterwards, which is wild, because if a steaming hot shitty plate of moons over my hammy doesn't get, get into those huge 1970s granny panties, then nothing will. You ever ate moon, moons over my hammy at Denny's?
0: Yes. Yeah, Denny's is the only place where I've ever been when they asked me if I wanted my chicken fried steak boiled. (laughs) That's the way they cook everything at Denny's. They've just got a huge
1: boiling pot of water in the back, (laughs) and they just throw everything in it and boil it. And then throw that wet, soppy pile of shit on your plate and hope you can smother it in enough condiments (laughs) To get the
0: taste of water out of your mouth. You know, the world is full of, like, these charts that tell you how to tell, like, a meat's rarity. Like, when it's done, well done. You know, rare, medium rare. At Denny's, there's just this chart on the wall that's a grayscale chart. Yeah. (laughs) You're just supposed to put the meat up on the chart and slide (laughs) it until it matches the gray. When it's gray, it's done.
1: (laughs) And if you and if it's if it's got any kind of sear, which is impossible in a boiling pot of water anyway, but if it does, it's overcooked. Throw it away. <laughs> Their standards are pretty specific. Denny's is so bad.
0: How bad is it
1: that Theo Vaughn has like a ten minute bit
0: about it in his Netflix special? That's how bad Denny's is. Well, wow. but you know, everybody like just the conversation about Denny's makes people go to Denny's. It doesn't matter if it's good or bad press. It, you still go. You still go every once in a while. You know, whenever I was a
1: young buck going to parties and whatnot, we had a Denny's in my hometown, and it's a Mexican restaurant now, and and, and everybody in my hometown now just calls it the Mexican Denny's, because that's what you do. <laughs> but I used to go to that Denny's all the time, hammered, and I would get the the Hoobastank burrito. <laughs> it should never be a name. Remember that band Hoobastank? They had their own menu item at Denny's, and a band that bad. Of course, would have a menu item at
0: Denny's, a restaurant that bad. Yeah, one hit wonder for a number wonder on the menu. Oof. Found a reason for me. I listened to them live, and everything you were hoped that they would do with that song live doesn't happen. It was so disappointing. Like none of the high notes were there. Mm. Nah, it was just flat, like a Denny's meal. <laughs> Gray, just like the Denny's meal it represents
1: it was just tasteless and flat and unemotional.
0: (laughs) Just like Ed's mom.
1: (laughs) Now, so, so Ed, you know, they go see John Wayne Chisholm at the, at the Del Mar theater on Pacific Avenue. They go to Denny's and then they probably eat a plate of moons over my hammy. And the young lady is no longer, no longer interested in talking to Ed anymore. And that's not surprising at all. But also, In 1971, Ed reaches out to his father to kind of reconcile for killing his parents. Hey. They end up meeting at a restaurant. Uh, It wasn't specified what restaurant it was because, but I can tell you it wasn't Denny's because they do have a few beers while they're eating. And Denny's, that is way, beer is way too spicy to be served at a Denny's. So it wasn't a Denny's, but they do have a few beers. They eat some food. And according to Ed, the meeting went well. And his father had claimed during the during the meeting that he had forgiven him. But in reality, uh, we later find out that he had not, according to Ed's stepmother and his stepbrother. Uh, and and kind of solidifying this as proof is that this would be the last time that Ed ever saw his father. Um, his father wasn't interested in meeting up anymore after that. And his dad does eventually die on January 19th, 1985, 14 years after this meeting and on his deathbed, the last time Ed ever speaks to his to his dad, he is in prison. Ed is not his dad. But uh, Kemper does get to talk to his dad on the phone while his father is on his deathbed. And it is then that he truly forgives him. Not not moments before dying.
0: Hmm. So, <clears throat> well, yeah, you wonder if if at that age and with everything, even if, you know, forgiveness wasn't there, if wisdom kicks in, and you're like. The best I can do for my son is to let him think that I forgave him,
1: even if his. Well, I think it was more of a fear. Yeah. Because he had he had committed a double murder.
0: Yeah, that's that's (laughs) a good point.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I'd like to be there for that meeting where Ed was like, hey, listen, dad, look, I know you're upset. (laughs) I did commit a double homicide
0: of your parents. Uh, But can we get over this? (laughs) Like the invitation to dinner was just a picture of Mr. Narwhal from Elf. And it just said, sorry, I killed your dad. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Eeyore eyes. Please meet me for beer.
1: (laughs) How long are we going to act ridiculous over this day? (laughs) Come on. (laughs) It's been how many years now? Uh, Come on. It's been what? Eight years? Seven years? Let's. Forget about it. Let's bury the knife. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, no, um, now, Ed, uh, also, around this time, not long after meeting his father, he puts a CB radio in his Ford Galaxy in an effort to feel more like a cop. Because he can't be a cop, which we learned in the last episode, because he's too damn big. And he, he probably goes by the CB handle of not the co-ed killer. <laughs> Remember CB Handles? Oh, yeah. Did you ever play with CB Handles? The CB Handles, for those that aren't familiar with, you know, ham radios and CB radios, you had a handle, but much like a username, and it was just your name that you went by. So if you've ever seen the movie Joyride, like Candy Cane, Rusty Nails, that like that was their username, only you said it. So yeah, it, you didn't use your real name over the radio.
0: It was like Wi-Fi. IDs when, you know, you're looking to join a Wi-Fi at a house and you see like every neighbor's Wi-Fi for seven miles, yet you can't find your own router name. That's always a dis, But yeah, it's always like pretty fly for a Wi-Fi or, you know. Something like
1: that. Yeah, the same one that everybody else uses. Am I the only one that does that? just uses the stock name, whatever the Wi-Fi gives you, instead of trying <laughs> to make it something silly?
0: This is like D-Link 454. But you also keep the password the same as the one they sent yeah, you. Yeah, I like do. I really 71 do. 71 miles long and every alphabet in our language and in the Japanese language. No, I, I changed my name to Not Fast Wi-Fi because I have a... Uh, gigabit connection, so it's pretty fast now. And I don't want people to try to steal it, so it's called Not Fast Wi-Fi.
1: And that's about as convincing as if Ed Kemper had made his handle not the co-ed killer. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, So, my grandpa actually had a CB radio in his room and uh, whenever they were babysitting me, I was probably like 9, 10 years old, I would go in there and, and fiddle around on it. And I heard some things on there that I probably shouldn't have heard as a as a nine-year-old. Like, these radios for kids at that time, because we didn't have the internet, right? It was like coming in a, a, a dirty chat room. Yeah. Learned a lot of stuff <laughs> that I probably shouldn't have through the radio. <laughs> Truckers trying to meet up, find a meet point for a hooker. Like, stuff like that. Blow jobs Ed's still hanging around the jury room with all the cops. And that jury room is located at 712 Ocean Street in Santa Cruz, 712 Ocean Street in Santa Cruz, the jury room, the bar. Still a bar, by the way, also looks completely identical, 100% identical, 100% identical. And that's still there, still the jury room. And these days, it's not a cop bar anymore, though. It's just a normal bar. I use the word normal loosely because now it looks like a good place to have a beer, have a a a, a, a shot of Jägermeister and 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 get stabbed <laughs> because they have
0: really embraced something for everybody. <laughs> They've really
1: embraced the dark history of this place, this Ed Kemper stain that it seems like they don't have like Ed Kemper pictures of him all over the walls or anything, but it is permanently dressed up as, as like it's Halloween there.
0: I'm looking at it on Google street view and well, I got to say, all the cars in the parking lot look modern now. That's an upgrade that they made.
1: Yeah, they upgraded the cars in the parking lot. Off. Yeah.
0: Well, that's good. You know, kind of makes it more like, come on over. We're modern. We're not.
1: And if you're looking at it there, you
0: also see there's a courthouse across the street and a law firm right beside it. So <laughs> <laughs> that That is a pretty great creative name then to call it the jury room. Like logistically, that's where it, the jury would sit, you know.
1: Also, pretty smart on Ed's part because if you're a serial killer, you're probably going to want to stay away from all of these places. Yeah, keep your enemies closer, right? i say.
0: Pretty. And smart that's man. exactly
1: what Ed did because his best friends were the police that were investigating who the co-ed killer was.
0: Yeah, um, didn't Casey did that? He he had a the tail that followed him for months, and he'd take him out to dinner. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, crazy. So. There's also
1: inside this bar today, um, as it stands now, these dogs weren't alive then, two dogs that, that run around, two Labradors, and they just kind of walk around while people eat tacos. They serve tacos there mm, and yum. drink beer. I don't know how many health code violations that is, but it just kind of seems like anything goes in this bar, murders, um, you know, whatever. It's just a real... <laughs> it's it's
0: Mad Maxian. I have a theory I've I've been in a couple bars, uh, just like when my, one of my favorite, like, guitarists is, like, acoustic guitarists is playing in the bar, and they're like, hey, I'm playing down here, you want to come? So I'd go down and sit and listen, and there is something, um like, you know when you're on vacation and you hit up one of the, like, local gift shops and everything looks cool? Like, you buy anything, and then you get it back, and you're like, why did I buy this puka shell necklace that also doubles as a mask in the shop it seems cool and like oh my goodness look at this darling and you'll buy it it's like serotonin's kicking off in your head because of the environment like bars seem to do the same thing like it feels seedier and darker it's like it's like when you were a kid and you wore those oversized jeans and you felt like you could do the goth dances and you're you talking about Jinko Gene, yeah, Ginkgo Gene. Like you went, like you know, a bar just kind of brings that out in us. Like uh, you know, like all of a sudden we all live in Gotham. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of fun.
1: And uh, you know, I seem to be talking a lot of shit about the jury room as it stands today. <clears throat> this is exactly the kind of place that I would have chose to drink at uh, as a young buck. This this would have been my joint.
0: Well, you you weren't exactly <laughs> a candidate, so yeah, you drink there all you want, I guess.
1: Now, since Ed had been at the at Tascadero Mental Hospital for most of his teenage years and some of his early 20s he wasn't aware how to like act or be cool around like people his age right he was he was an old man at heart because i mean he had he had no sense of style or like swagger no idea about what was in what was hip what was groovy and he had very little social skills because he had only been conversating with murderers and rapists and pedophiles for the past six years. He was a self-admitted bumblebutt. <laughs> That's what he called himself, a
0: bumblebutt. So- he just didn't know. He didn't know. So passive, so self-deprecating. Like, you just want to hug a guy that says, oh, I'm just a bumblebutt. You know? Hey, I'm going to do a
1: plug here. Uh, and th- these guys, I don't know these guys. But uh, it's a podcast that I enjoy. And it's a podcast called Bumblebutt. And they got their title for their podcast from Ed Kemper calling himself a bumblebutt. It's called the Bumblebutt Podcast. True Crime Podcast has a little dash of comedy in it. I enjoy it.
0: Check them out. I'll have to check them out. You know, since we're pitching podcasts, uh, I'd like to keep it a little closer to home. Check out True Crime Kent when you have a moment. Yeah. And let them know what you think about them. In the comments. Those those guys at True Crime Kent. Because we like when people comment. I like when people say hi. Do you, robot?
1: <laughs> Do you? If I was a robot, I would name myself Aaron Mankey.
0: I was on I was on Apple Podcasts earlier today, looking at nine one one calls podcast reviews, and I was like, "Wow, we have forty one hundred reviews. That's huge!" And I went over to Lore, like forty eight thousand. <laughs> Well,
1: yeah, it does. Also, have its own television show on Amazon and book series. You can't compare yourself to, you know, it's like the local champ at a at a at a gym comparing himself to Muhammad Ali. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah, this is
0: uh, it's not not even (laughs) didn't feel good, didn't feel great. But it tells me how far the ceiling is up there, and I'm gonna just keep on climbing. TCK get there. Yeah, TCK has a plateau. It's gonna hit. I mean, it's it's you know it's. Just kidding. It doesn't. Everybody listen to TCK. Subscribe now.
1: It's already plateaued. <laughs> now, in an effort to learn social skills and the younger generation's, you know, kind of language and every generation has a language like now, it's like the kids say that's on fleek and that's happening. <laughs> it's a or, you know, that's dope. That's what they say now, I think. <laughs> Ed decides he's going to start picking up hitchhikers to, to learn how to conversate with these these young people and learn their language. Now, in the beginning, he would pick up any hitchhikers up, anybody. It didn't matter, male, female. Uh, if it had a penis, pick it up. If it doesn't have a penis, pick it up. If it's got two penises, pick it up. If it had a penis, cut it off, pick it up. He didn't care. He'd pick it up after they cut it off? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. He, no, No. Not he wouldn't pick up the penis. Oh, uh, that's like service. A, but, but the per, the person that the penis was attached to, pick it up. Uh, pick it up. He picked them up, drive them around. He's just Ubering everybody around. And eventually though, that changes to just females. And this is like, I think obvious, the first
0: step towards where this heads. I feel like if you had an Uber that was qualified, like you're saying, like your gender has to be qualified to get in the car. That's like a different business. I think it's a great idea. It's like Uber for genders or, or you could call it goober, gender Uber, goober. Ed also learns what puts hitchhikers,
1: Ed also learns what puts hits what Ed also learns what puts hitchhikers at I can't stand you Ed also learns what puts hitchhikers at ease when you pull up He he uh fucking I'm so awesome.
0: Do you want me to call you a Ed Uber? also
1: learns what puts hitchhikers at fuck <laughs>
0: I know what's happening right now. Your gears are spinning, knowing that Goobers a good a good business. You know, what? I'll let you in on the ground floor. Ten ten dollars, and you're in. Ten dollars. I can even take it out of your friend. Friend fee. And <laughs> also learns what puts hitchhikers
1: at ease when you pull up. So, you know, I feel like you said that. You're before. kind of. You're kind of. Ed also learns what puts hitchhikers at ease when he pulls up <laughs> so you know to, he tries to learn how to what what make himself what how to make himself non-threatening yeah yeah because he's a big dude right so, and, and he
0: make he, he, he just rolls up right he doesn't get out of the car it's not like he's like a guag, guag, go, go roll out
1: yeah he's not yeah. like got his arms like come on right <laughs> oh get in get in <laughs> He learns that the best way is to not seem desperate, like you don't need them. Like, and the way he does this is by looking at his watch, and he kind of has this like attitude when he when he pulls up, like, "Hey, I got shit to do, I got places to go. If you want to get in, fine. Ah, if you don't, interesting, it, it's no skin off my ass. Like, whatever, you know." Interesting. Come on.
0: That's an interesting thing.
1: So if you're nonchalant about it, he learns that it, that makes them more likely uh, to get in. So yeah, he learns how to be how to approach. A
0: situation. Hmm. Yeah, that would that would be very disarming to see somebody just look at their watch. Yeah, it's, it, man, that says a lot. That one motion. Yeah, it's so simple. That's you know, this is a gen- This guy's a genius. He's a fucking
1: sociopath and a evil piece of shit. But also a genius. You know, they they see him looking at his watch. They see that he doesn't really care if you get in or not. They think, oh, he doesn't need me or my butt. He doesn't need my butt for anything. Yeah. Like, he's just offering to help, and if and if I don't want to go, he doesn't care. And
0: that is very effective. Yeah. Just the watch trick, which was what he called it, the watch trick. Watch trick. Jack has a watch trick. Never ask to see it, ever. Is it space docking? Cl- very close. Very close. Do not ask. If he says, want to see my watch trick, you'd run. You run the other way.
1: Now Ed would sometimes travel as far as 300 miles to the Oregon border picking up hitchhikers and delivering them. And Ed was Ed was simping before it was cool. <laughs> before OnlyFans was a thing. How pathetic like He would drive 300 miles just to pick up a female
0: hitchhiker <laughs> or drop one off. He's not getting paid for this. Yeah, the gas money this guy wasted. Seriously, that is the that is the definition of simp right there. That is
1: oh for sure,
0: for sure. But with all this hit, all these hitchhikers that he's picking up, all
1: these young ladies, he does learn through this how to talk to girls. And uh, he's also he also learns that his, he has a haircut at the time, right? And it's this boxy kind of police style at the time haircut, and it's not groovy, man. That haircut isn't groovy, and by that, it's like one of those... He looks like a Minecraft character. Yeah. Right? He looks pixelated. (laughs) It's got the straight
0: sides with a flat top. Yeah, flat top. Yeah.
1: It makes him look like a seven-foot-tall college football coach that really likes making sure there are no shenanigans going on in the showers, in the locker room, (laughs) and he hangs around just a little
0: too long. Yeah. Hey, did your coach's office have a window... That, that went out into the shower? No. No, it did not. Mine did. Mine did. A window into the office of the coach? The coach's yeah, office had a window that looked out into the... Sh- it was like literally in the entrance to the showers. Was the school aware of this? Had it been chiseled <clears throat> out? Chismed? No. Uh, I was it Was not a window? It didn't
1: have any glass in it, did it? It was just a hole <laughs> in the wall. <laughs> And he told you that was a window, and you're like, oh, that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: You ever seen that movie Porky's? Yeah. Yeah. No. So what you were, you guys were just being peeked
0: on. Maybe. That wasn't a window op. If it's just a hole in the wall made with a drill bit. He didn't, yeah, that's weird. I don't, I don't remember much else. Yeah, that's called blocking. <laughs> so Ed learns that this stupid looking haircut that
1: he has isn't cool. And he starts growing it out long and groovy looking. He grows out a mustache and starts looking like a 70s porn star. It is also, oh, important to note, the 69 Ford Galaxy that that Ed is driving is a coupe, right? And I know that you know what this means, but for the listener that may not know, this means that there's only one door on each side of the vehicle. And even though it has a back seat, in order to get in that back seat, you have to push the front seats forward, right? So kind of like a Camaro or a Mustang, you know, you got to open that that driver's side door, passenger side door. If you want to get in the back seat, you got to push the front seats forward and then climb into the back. For our British listeners, that's called a
0: cooper. That's how they say it. Cooper. A coupé. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds like something you'd order at Starbucks. Yeah. So, but the reason this is important, this is very important detail, is because essentially, when you're in that back seat, you're you're imprisoned. Hmm. Right. Because the front is bench seats, so and the, by that I mean it's one continuous seat. It's oh, one big seat.
0: Yeah, so the whole thing has to fold up in order to get you're out. You're kind of enclosed in the right. back yes. once you're in there. Mm. Okay. Now, this is when
1: the escalation really begins. Now, he's already started escalating a little bit by just switching to pure female hitchhikers, and, uh, and the first step is Ed begins carrying a gun with him under the driver's seat every time he does the hitchhiking. It makes him feel good. Like that's so that's the first thing. Not long after that, he begins outfitting his car with what he called kill kits, and those kits consisted of knives, swords fucking nerd, towels, <laughs> blankets, garrets, ropes, belts, handcuffs, and large plastic bags. And all of this was in the trunk of the galaxy, just in case. Um so you see where this is going. And this is you see this a lot with serial killers. It, 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 they don't just go straight into the neck fucking. It's like little allowances. Yeah. kind of get their, their rocks off.
0: Interesting. You know what's funny is you grumbled something something nerds when you said swords. But you know how nerdy, so, like that rabbit hole goes so deep. You say swords and there's some, some super nerd listening right now that's like, yeah, you can't just say sword, though. I mean, are you talking like a falchion, a short sword, maybe a gladius? You know, a you know, katana? A kind of shamshare? A dao? Maybe an odachi? Swords are, <laughs> and I don't care
1: if it's the sharpest sword in the world, I don't care if it's capable of cutting a diamond. The nerdiest thing on Earth. <laughs> I don't care if I'm being murdered with it. If I'm laying there on the bed, I've been kit, like I'm bleeding out. If the last thing I would go, I would say, right before I enter eternal darkness is, uh, <laughs>
0: fucking nerd. There's a two-handed sword called a flamber J. Yeah, of course there is. Of course there is.
1: And the the nerdiest show on earth. <laughs> believe it or not, isn't something related to Dungeons and Dragons. It's forged in
0: fire. Yeah, that's true. That's the nerdiest show on earth. It's such a weird contrast. You got these like you know metal smiths and then you got like super dorks <laughs> Yes. Yeah. anytime i hear that a guy's
1: interested in swords i just picture him standing in his backyard like chopping styrofoam <laughs> while his mom yells at him to come inside and eat his hot pockets <laughs> mom i
0: told you it's pizza rolls day i told you mom my name is nordoc you know you are a dork. If you've said the phrase, oh, is, that re- is that pewter? In the last week. If you've said, is that pewter? In the last week, you're a dork.
1: Look at the intricacies on the handguard. Oh, man. So Ed Kemper has swords. <laughs> Fucking nerd. It's it's also, uh, I need to point out that the, the Ford Galaxy... Has like the biggest trunk ever. You could play a game of pickup basketball <laughs> in this thing. At one point, they found a family of seven homeless people living in the trunk of a Ford Galaxy in the early in the early eighties. <coughs> I made that last part up. But the Ford Galaxy is a massive, huge, a lot of space here. Yeah. A lot of room for swords. Yeah. And corpses. It's a two-storey trunk. Yeah. Two stories. <laughs> uh you could pull this car up to Santa Cruz or Los Angeles and you could rent it out for rent for five grand a month. Some college kid. But uh, Ed says, Ed claims that he picks up around 150 hitchhikers with all this stuff in the car, with the towels and the blankets and the swords. With all this stuff in the car. He picks up 150 hitchhikers before he commits his first uh, murder as new Ed. Technically, it's his third murder, but those first two murders were young Ed.
0: Yeah, young Ed. That was like the old yeller Ed, like... Like, oh, she's got she to put them down. Put them down. And then the new Ed, which also sounds kind of like a fun TV show. New Ed. It's Ed Kemper, you know, coming of age tale.
1: <laughs> yeah, fun sitcom. And when they find out he's throat fucking headless, <laughs> like corpses, they do that thing where the mother puts her hands on her hips. Like this, right? <laughs> and she looks at him side-eyed and she's like, now Ed. Now
0: Ed. And then it's like, laugh track. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's that, that hands on the hip like June Cleaver when she's like, Ward, you were pretty hard on the beaver last night.
1: And you know, Mr. Cleaver was hard on that beaver with all them kids. Um.
0: Oh, oh wait. <laughs> <laughs> I just got the, hey, now. <laughs> they had two beds. That's impossible. <laughs> uh, another allowance
1: that Ed starts giving himself as he starts straying from the girls' destinations, so when they say they want to go here, what he does is he kind of starts veering off away from it to gauge how much they panic and how much he can get away with. So if they're like, you know, I want to go to to Ruby Tuesdays, <laughs> he'll he'll like make another left that he shouldn't have to see if they panic or not. So he's kind of seeing how what what is the radius here? Yeah, that I can that I can veer off
0: before they start really losing their shit. Yep. He'll end up going, like, t- kind of toward a TGI Fridays. And they're like, I said Ruby Tuesdays. And he's like, oh, sorry, I got my days mixed up here. I thought you said Chili's. Hammer, hammer, hammer.
1: You like moons over my hammy? <laughs> he also starts another allowance that he starts giving himself is he, he starts practicing slipping a tube of chapstick between the door handle of the passenger side to prevent the girls from getting out. And you're probably wondering, well, how does that actually did an extensive dive into the door panels of the 69 Ford Galaxy, and this is how that works. The door handle on a 69 Ford Galaxy is on the like, so the grip, right? You know the grip that you use to pull the door shut to open the door? Uh, yes. It's it's one, it's one thing. It's all one thing. Uh. And uh it's also a little pocket which would catch like all the gunk and shit over the years. So you'd buy this car used, and it'd have like pubic hairs and <laughs> you know. Gunk from people's fingernails and shit in it. Yum. That's where the door handle also is.
0: Mm, okay. So it's
1: this little pocket that's impossible for a detailer to clean. Yes. So essentially what happens is when you take that tube of chapstick and you slip it in behind that door handle, it essentially makes it, first off, it's not visible from the passenger seat, really, unless you're looking for it. But it also kind of puts a block and it makes it unable for you to open that, make the mechanism open the door. I see. So the way it, what Ed would do is when these young ladies would get in, he would be like, that door is kind of finicky. Let me make sure I, I, I close it. He reaches over, he opens the door, and then he slams it shut, and then he kind of slips that chapstick, that tuba chapstick, in between the door handle, essentially locked.
0: Yeah, it's a benign, like, he could be like, ah, oh, darn it, tube of chapstick got in there again. I hate that one. But, you know, so it's fixable, but he's gauging panic. Also, good job on the description of that. Have you ever thought about like doing a podcast where you just read Chilton manuals? Like car repair manuals? Nah, you're going to get under there and you're going to see the flange that's next to the whatever else is in a car. <laughs> well,
1: you know, whenever I hear uh, other podcasts, documentaries, everything describe this, I'm like, well, how did that uh, you know, you, you can't, it's hard to imagine how a tube of chapstick can prevent somebody from getting out of
0: a vehicle. Yeah, it uh, begs a description. It's good job on that.
1: We are up to our first uh, and this is a double murder, as New Ed Kemper, op. Yeah, on May seventh, nineteen seventy-two. Oh my gosh! Yeah,
0: freaking, what? Hold on, what? So I don't know. I just get so mad when I hear about nineteen seventy. I, I, as many do, I'm pretty sure. Or seventy-two. It just it, it blows my mind. Nineteen seventy-two. You can get an uncirculate, like you could find an uncirculated, yeah, meaning it's never been in the public's hands, mm-hmm. inside of a wrapper, inside of a protective box, an uncirculated Eisenhower right. silver dollar. Well, it'd only be worth fourteen bucks. Fourteen. Bucks. I do not understand it. That's a nineteen seventy two dash S uncirculated, fourteen dollars. Mind blowing.
1: Oh. You don't say. Fourteen dollars.
0: PR sixty eight. Just qual- the the highest quality you can get. PR sixty eight. Fourteen dollars. I, I don't know. I know.
1: I know. Unbelievable.
0: I know. Oh.
1: But somehow simultaneously, one hundred percent believable. May seventh, nineteen seventy two. Ed slips on what would eventually become his murder outfit. He won. He he had a an outfit that he. Particularly, war for, for murders, for doing murders and committing murders and and doing murderous activities. Yeah, that outfit consisted of a lot brown checkered shirt, a pair of dark jeans to mask blood, and a this is my favorite part a fringed buckskin jacket. And that is exactly what you're picturing a tan kind of leather or pleather. I, I would imagine somebody like Ed had pleather. Tan
0: leather jacket with all the frillies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Well, like a John Wayne's sidekick kind of look. Did you say lot brown? Is that like is that like a lot of brown? Like is there a color that has more brown in it than other colors? Lot brown. Oh. Yeah. Okay, I'm I'm tracking. And I think you knew that. I
1: don't know. But he puts on this murder outfit. But he puts on this murder outfit and makes his way to the Berkeley College campus where he starts prowling. Today's the day op. He's finally, he's decided this is going to be it. Um, I can't fight this urge. I've got a feeling. Oh, what a feeling. At 4 p.m. on May 7th, 1972, Ed finds two 18-year-old college girls on Ashby Avenue holding up a sign that said Stanford. Now they had been in the area for a party, and uh, and they were going. They were on their way to Stanford to also go to a different party. A couple of young eighteen-year-old party girls just living their lives, living their young lives, doing the same shit that I did when I was eighteen years old. Party girl. And they do what? When you were eighteen-year-old party girl, when I was an eighteen-year-old party girl, I was just out there sucking dicks. Wow. Beer bong and. Just living life. Yeah. Being young. Right. Being young, wild, and free is Wiz Khalifa. Yep. Wiz Khalifa.
0: Since. Ramona Quimby, age eighteen.
1: <laughs> These two young ladies were Marianne Pesky and Anita Luchessa. Mm. They were college roommates who were hitchhiking together, like I said, just kind of living that young, fun, fun life. So they were they were in college, going from college to college to college partying in their off time hitchhiking. Marianne Pesky was a blue eyed, brown headed, 5 foot 110 pound beauty. And uh, on this day, she was rocking the shit out of a purple sweater, faded blue jeans, hiking boots, a purple felt hat, and was holding an orange backpack. She was an expert skier and a member of the debate team. So, a promising, uh, beautiful, brutal, beautiful young lady. Anita Luchessa was almost the exact same size as Pesky. Same height, just five pounds lighter. So she weighed in at 105, five five foot one, 105. She was also a beauty and had long brown sun bleached hair. On this day, she was wearing a, she was wearing gold rimmed glasses, a red t-shirt under gray and white striped bib overhauls with a red nylon jacket over it. She also had a backpack. Now, Mary, Mary Ann Pesky, like I said, she was the first one of this, the first one of these girls was an experienced hitchhiker. Uh, and when Ed pulls up and tries to pull his little watch trick, she doesn't bite. She's got that like spotty sense. Mm. She doesn't want to get in. And and the reason she doesn't want to get in is because this is a coop. Smart girl. A cooper. Very, very smart girl. Yeah. Smart. But Anita Luchessa, who was new to hitchhiking, insisted anyway. She's like, come on. He's looking at his watch. <laughs> he's not interested in her anuses. <laughs> he's got places to be. And like I said, you know, while they're arguing there, Ed, Ed keeps doing the watch trick. It's failing him, so it, it's all he's got. He's like, okay, I'm just going to keep looking at my watch. <laughs> uh, they do, against Mary's wishes, eventually get in with hopes that Ed will make will take them to Stanford University. Now, Mary Pesky, the one who was doubtful about this, climbs into the back seat, and Anita Luchessa gets into the front. Uh, At this point, Ed begins the 51-mile drive to Stanford from Berkeley. Uh, And and almost immediately, Mary Ann Pesky, the experienced hitchhiker, is suspicious of Ed. They keep exchanging looks, according to Ed, in the rearview mirror. She's she's burning holes in him with her eyes through the rearview mirror, watching everything he does. She knows something is off off about this ogre.
0: I wonder if it was the Um, scimitar poking into her hip. If it was what? The scimitar poking into her hip. What the fuck is a scimitar? Sword.
1: (laughs) Oh no, this guy has swords. Great. He's going to try to get us to join his (laughs) faction and Dungeons and Dragons. I'd rather, I hope he's a serial
0: killer. We're going to be LARPing in Julia Davis Park before we know it.
1: <laughs> oh no, there's foam armor back here. <laughs> Are those shit?
0: Pool noodles.
1: <laughs> Painted to look like aged metal. Uh, so Ed pulls off a deserted road near Haywood comes to a clearing, and then kills the car. Now, Marianne Pesky's already freaking out. It's at this point Ed pulls out a Browning 9mm semi-automatic pistol from underneath the seat, points it at him, and says he's in charge. He then uh, kind of reaches over into the back seat and handcuffs Marianne, the, the the one that wasn't into this, that wasn't feeling it. She she He handcuffs her to a seatbelt support in the back of the vehicle, after handcuffing Marianne Pesky, he takes Anita Luchessa out of the car and locks her in the trunk. And, uh, he then goes back to Pesky. Ed figures that Pesky would be harder to handle than Luchessa. Anita Luchessa, Anita Luchessa is a little bit more, um, trusting, a mm. uh, little less of a problem child, you know, a little less resilient to being murdered by a, by Shrek. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't mean to laugh. You laughed at that. I'm sorry. Uh, so and the, so the reason he he kind of he puts Anita Luchessa in the trunk and leaves Marianne Pesky out is he wanted to take care of her first. Uh, he he opens the door, climbs into the back seat, and and slams a plastic bag over her head, and then he takes a bathrobe belt and wraps it around her neck to try to secure the bag. But when he kind of tries to tighten it, the belt snaps. While simultaneously Anita or Marianne Pesky is putting up one hell of a fight for a small young lady, uh, she bites through the bag and starts screaming. Now she's fighting like a banshee and screaming and causing chaos, which makes echoes throughout the canyons in this in this place where he had parked. In a panic, trying to get her to be quiet, Ed pulls a small knife from its sheath and starts just. Randomly and quickly stabbing her all over the place, Gosh. in the back, the sides, the stomach, the neck, wherever he can find an open spot, he's just stabbing all over. But he doesn't ever stab her in the boobs.
0: Weird. Uh, maybe not weird.
1: And uh, the reason I bring this up is because he makes a point of it later in an interview during a uh, during a uh, an interview. He says, "You know, I just couldn't see myself stabbing a young lady in the boobs." You know how embarrassing is that? That's
0: what he was embarrassed about. Everybody has their limits, I guess.
1: I guess Ugh. he try. He he says that though, like he's proud. Like I'm a decent person. I didn't stab the boobs. She continues to fight, though being stabbed. And Ed is somewhat stunned by this. In the movies, they fall over. They die quick, right? Yeah. You stab somebody, they die. That's not how it happens in real life. That's also not how not how it happens with gunshots. No, yeah, unless never- it's a gunshot straight to the head. If you catch a gunshot from the neck down, it's going to take you a minute to die.
0: Yeah. I think I covered this in a 911 call, but I was looking into critical areas of the body. And 6% of our body is lights out. That's it. Yeah. 94% of our body is like can sustain damage. You may still die, but it won't happen lights out. It's not immediate. That's crazy.
1: Well, he thought it was going to be immediate. Mm. He was like, "Cause you need to keep in mind the only two murders he's committed prior to this uh, were his old ass grandparents, and he shot them in the back of the head yeah. with a rifle, and they have soft brains, soft skulls. They're old, right? Yeah, they died right away. It's a soft target, if you will. This is this is eighteen year olds. These are these are hardened
0: targets. These are targets in their prime. And I just want to say, like, like if you put yourself in that position." I'm 6'2", 250, I wouldn't stand a chance against Ed Kemper. I wouldn't, you know? If he's got you in a back seat pinned down, like, mm mm-mm. He probably weighs 320, 330, maybe 350. That's a big dude. So he's stabbing her all over and avoiding the boobs.
1: Like I said, (laughs) she continues to fight, uh, and then Ed... In a panic, cuts her throat from ear to ear, and then leaves her in the back seat to bleed out. He says that on this day he learns what it means to go from ear to ear. Wow! So with Mary taken care of, he get he climbs he climbs out of that car, goes back to the trunk and opens it up for who he was uh, excited about. That was Anita Luchessa. Whenever he pops open the trunk, the first thing Anita says is, "What happened to Mary?" Ed responds, I broke her nose because she wouldn't do what I wanted. You need to get out and come help her. When Anita starts to climb out of the trunk, Ed pulls out a knife that he, ca- a knife that he called the general. And it was uh, its actual name is the original Buffalo Skinner. It was a larger knife than the first one he had just killed Pesky with and had an 8-inch blade. Ed will later say that he had given $9 for it, which is over $47 today. Wow. You know that's a lot of money for an eye. You know you can call that a lot of things up. You can call him a rapist. You can call him a murderer. You can call him a necrophiliac. You can call him a psychopath. You know you call him a cannibal. Even eventually, you can call him the living embodiment of evil. But you can't call him cheap. Uh, like I said, that moon's over my hammy. That was a dollar eighty nine in the early nineteen seventies.
0: You make a point. You make a
1: point. He gave $9 for that knife. It's almost $50 today. Jeez. Moon's over Miami. What a terrible meal. eighty
0: nine in there. Early 1970s, Moon's over Miami. Quick side question before we get into the really terrible part that comes up. I was just thinking $9, what he spent here, what he spent there. I can't recall. Does he have a job? Yes, he's working for the, State Highway, the California Highway Department. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay. Anyways.
1: He starts stabbing her randomly all over just like he did Mary. He, except he's got a bigger knife this time. Different knife, different knife that he stabs Anita Luchessa with than the one he stabbed Mary with. He stabbing her in her forearms, her stomach, her sides, her back, her neck. She also puts up one hell of a fight. Uh, Ed even says later that she almost want like it, he said that he was astounded at how much of a fight this this small young lady put up. Remember, this is a small very petite lady. Ed had trouble with her I said it was like he didn't say, but I imagine it was like trying to kill a, a, a cat. Like, you know, how a cat's like it's like crawling all over like she was really kind of fucking Ed up for a minute there. Mm. I mean, the best that she could. Oh, good. The first stab that he tried to hit her with wouldn't penetrate the thick bib overhauls that she was wearing. And they actually deflected the first knife blow and nearly threw her. He threw, he stabbed her with it so hard that it almost threw, it lifted her off her feet and almost threw her back into the trunk.
0: Well, was she wearing Mithril or something?
1: Uh, I think it was just a, a shitty knife, a, a dull knife. And she had on, what I imagined when I read that is either he had hidden a, a seam or probably one of the areas where there was a pocket. Mm, yeah. And... Anita Luchessa, like I said, she fights so hard. And because of how she's fighting in in this kind of barrage of stabs, Ed actually ends up cutting himself. He cuts his own hand like a big old goober. And uh, he also breaks his watch in this fight. The cut that he gets on himself while stabbing Anita Luchessa would later require three stitches at the emergency room.
0: Sounds insignificant to all the stabs that he caused. Yeah. Yeah, poor Ed. Poor Ed.
1: Eventually, though, this poor young lady can't fight off the onslaught of knife blows anymore. She does fall to the ground. She's been stabbed a dozen times. And Ed stands over her, her not corpse yet, but he stands over her for a minute, completely interested by what he's seeing. He watches as, and this is kind of a disturbing bit of imagery, he watches as she's laying there on her back, bleeding out in the... uh in the dirt, she's subconsciously still fighting off now non-attacking blows with her arms,
0: while her a- eyes are fixed to the sky. Wow, that's in—that's a involuntary. You're going out fighting. Wow. That's... Yeah. So she's probably—I uh, would
1: imagine—already unconscious mm. at this point mm-hmm. from blood loss, but her arms are still trying to fight off knife blows wow. that aren't coming anymore, and her eyes are fixed to the sky. And Ed just watches. Uh, kind of interested by this kind of involuntary body movement. Uh, but eventually, they slowly, the movement of trying to defend herself um, against the now a non-threat slows down and they slowly kind of make their way to her sides. Where they come to a stop as uh, as poor Anita Luchessa slips into death.
0: Jeez. Oh. Kemper then
1: gathers the two dead girls up and puts them in the huge trunk of the Ford Galaxy. But after he closes the trunk lid, trunk lid, slams it shut, he can't find his keys. He realizes, or he is convinced at that point, that he's locked them in the trunk. And when he panics because he can't get into the trunk, he just begins to run. He's like, oh, shit. Because you need to keep in mind, Mary Ann Pesky was screaming the whole time, and he mentioned that it was echoing throughout the canyon, and he thought he heard people talking. Yeah. So he just starts to run. When he starts to run, though, he gets maybe 20 foot away from the vehicle, the gun that he had tucked into the belt of his pants falls down his pants leg, and then he trips on it and almost falls down. What a bumble butt. <laughs> this is big old bumble butt. Yeah, that's a, he's a real silly goose. At that point, he stops. He's like, okay, I, I look so ridiculous right now. <laughs> he stops. He gathers his thought. He thinks for a minute. He starts, okay, what? <sighs> goose Fraba.
0: Gross!
1: <laughs> he probably he just takes a moment, he takes a few breaths, and then he starts calmly checking his pockets. And in his back pocket, he does find his car keys, and he's like, "Ah, there it is." Okay. He hops back in the Ford Galaxy and starts heading heading home. On his way home, up he gets stopped by a police officer for having a broken tail It turns out that Anita Luchessa, while in the trunk, had kicked it out and broke the bulb, and that's pretty rude. I'd say. There's so much room, and yet... Yeah, so much room. You could have hid. Yeah. Could have found somewhere in that trunk and hid, and when he popped it open, he's like, shit, she got away. Because of how good Ed is at talking to the police, though, he pretty easily talks himself out of the situation, and the cop just lets him go with a warning. Uh, Kemper would later say in interviews that if the cop had requested to check the car, he would have just shot him in the back of the head when he opened the trunk and thrown him in with the two girls. Wow. Really unhinged right now. Uh, since Ed's roommate was out of town at the time of these murders, that's probably why he chose this time to, do, to commit them. Uh, he goes home, brings the bodies up to his apartment. Once inside, he undresses them, dissects them, cuts their heads off, takes some Polaroid pictures, and then he says he has sex with various parts of the body. Like, I don't know, maybe an ankle or something? He, he wasn't specific. We definitely know that he, he did do... Uh, Sex to the heads. Oof. Various parts. That's,
0: yeah, that's random.
1: Um, so that's, I mean, we don't kink shame.
0: No. Here on TCK, but this is a little far if you ask me. I don't really know what kink shame, the last time I heard kink shame was when my mom used to tell me that I didn't iron my shirts just proper, and I realized. So that- kink shame is a new term, uh, uh. I know that it's
1: hard to keep up with all these new terms Mm. because there's a new one every day that we're supposed to be cool with. Yeah. Uh, Kink shame is where when somebody says, hey, I like doing this during sex, uh, you're not supposed to go. That's weird. Oh. So if they're like, you know, I like using exploded balloons as condoms and then and then and then having sex with butterscotch ice cream, you're supposed to go. That's cool, man. I, I respect that about
0: you. That is completely normal. And Even when so, people say crazy things like, I've used a marijuana cigarette. Well, that's that doesn't have anything to do with
1: uh, sex, though. And a lot of people use marijuana cigarettes. Marijuana is a beautiful plant.
0: Have you ever seen Reefer Madness, the movie? You're talking about the movie from the...
1: 40s yeah yes exactly it's, when they were trying to paint marijuana as the devil's drug even though nobody's ever killed anybody on marijuana you're talking about that propaganda piece of shit film op. is that what you would you're the only person it it's not surprising to me at all that you're still the only one watching reefer madness and taking notes and considering it as fact if
0: there's one trick that the devil has done best and that is allow us to think he's not real so he, he's I, I mean i
1: I don't know what where I stand from a religious standpoint. The devil might be real. He might not be. But if he is real, I can tell you it's not he has nothing to do with marijuana because nobody's ever killed anybody because they smoked marijuana.
0: The rest of my sentence be There's more of
1: the devil in alcohol, I
0: would argue, than marijuana. The rest of my sentence before I was so rudely interrupted is I smoke marijuana cigarettes and I say Okay. There's not you,
1: you don't have any. That's what you're. at the end of the. That was the end of
0: the thought. Yes, because like when my mom would say, "You didn't, you didn't, you didn't iron out those kinks," and I, I felt like I was, I did not like that. So when I can't with you, I just say okay, I, I like can. I told my mom, listen, okay, that we've strayed
1: from kink shaming. None of this has anything to do with kink shaming, and and really, the kink shaming comment that I made was more of a joke than anything. Nobody's. This is just necrophilia, which everybody is opposed to. Moving on. Okay. So he's cut the bodies up. He's undressed them. He's taken Polaroid pictures of the process. He's having sex with the parts of the corpses. Uh, probably sticking his wiener between the Achilles tendon and the and the bone on the, on the ankle or whatever. I don't know, but he's doing stuff to the heads. He also robs them of all their money. He got a grand total of $8.28 out of the two girls. And that's a little bit over 55 bucks today or uh to put that into better terms that's enough for four orders
0: of moons over my hammy wow that's they were going out to party that night
1: yeah it's a lot of bad food he puts the remains of the bodies in plastic bags and then buries them in the santa cruz hills at the highest peak of loma prieta and uh, i did take this drive that ed took and Very wooded area, very secluded area in the mountains. The next morning on May 8th, when I said I took the drive, I did it on Google Maps. Mm, The next morning on May 8th, 1972, he puts the remains of the bodies in plastic bags and then buries them in the Santa Cruz Hills at the highest peak of Loma Prieta. And I I did take this drive on Google Maps um, and, and the Loma Prieta, the mountains there, uh, where these this was done are are wooded, secluded, isolated. But on this morning, yeah, he's got the bodies in plastic bags. Uh, he buries the torso and limbs in one location of Loma Prieta, and the hands in a second location. He does, however, keep the heads for a few days and rapes the heads, the the severed heads, over and over. Uh, you know, like like you do, I guess. I guess. Uh, I would imagine they also make a good conversation piece, probably. They pull the living room together. Uh, oh, this next part is 100% true. At one point, up, he's sitting in the living room in a chair with one of the heads sitting in the opposite chair, and they're just staring at each other. So there's a head sitting in a chair staring at him, and he's sitting in the opposite chair staring at it. He said the head... Uh, started to kind of slowly tilt over, and then it rolls and rolls over and falls off the chair and makes a loud thud on the floor. Uh, An average human head weighs 11 pounds. So, I mean, it would make a large... And you need to keep in mind, Ed isn't on the ground floor of this apartment building. He's on, like, the second or third floor. Yeah, it's like a bowling ball hitting the ground. The neighbor below, when the head hits the floor, takes a broomstick and hits hits his ceiling and says, Keep it down! Up there, and Ed yells back, "Sorry, I just dropped one of my heads,"
0: and then giggles to himself. Old Ed, we don't you don't hear a lot about killers that position their victims. You know, like Black Dahlia did, and there was a whole lot of symbol, symbolism. Uh, you know, uh, the Black Dahlia murder, but th- that was one interesting thing. That yeah, uh, we're getting into some interesting stuff here with with Ed and the liberties that he takes. Now, like I
1: said, Ed held on to these heads for a few days, but after they start decomposing and smelling too bad to rape anymore, um, decapitated heads, I would say, I would guess have a shelf life of like a banana or maybe an apricot or probably go bad pretty quick. Um, Ed just throws them into a ravine, Mm. just tosses them into a a ravine. As you do. Now, although the girls were reported missing, the hitchhiking kind of transient lifestyle was so common in the 70s. That police didn't really do anything. Uh, there's so many people going missing at this time, most of which are not going missing because they were murdered, but because they're going to watch, you know, whatever the band was that playing the, the Grateful Dead on the other side of the United States yeah, or something like that. Everybody's peace and loving and going across the country. And most of the people that went missing weren't murdered. They were just hitchhiking and shit. So the police didn't think much about it. Right. Right. However... Pesky's head, Marianne Pesky's head, was found by a hiker on May 16th. Um, and Lucessa's head has never been found and hasn't been found to this day. So if you are ever hiking in the Santa Cruz Mountains, just, you know, keep your eyes peeled. Maybe you'll become a part of true crime history.
0: Or if you or a loved one have a skull on their shelf that came from that vicinity, maybe ask somebody. Yeah, bring it up.
1: Bring it up. You know, just bring it up. Yeah. Ed spends is the next few months feeling satiated. He doesn't kill anybody. He's still, however, uh, picking up hitchhikers regularly, but he's feeling, uh, I guess, relaxed for a bit, right? What do they call that? The cooling down period? The cooling down period, yes.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: In this time, during his cooling down period, the roommate that he was living with, that he was sharing the apartment with, moves out. And Ed has the place to himself. He probably came home and found a bunch of old meat, hair, and teeth in the bathtub. And was like, I don't know, something's off about this guy. Yeah, Um, Because Ed did dissect them in the bathtub. I don't know if I said that or not. Um, So, yeah, his roommate moves out. Ed's got the place to himself. And eventually, the rush that he got uh, from, from killing the two young girls and the photos that he had taken while dismembering them isn't having the same effect that it was in the beginning, and he hits the streets and campuses again on the prowl for his next victim. Sadly, that next victim would be a young lady by the name of Aiko Koo. On Thursday, September 14th, 1972, while once again hunting the grounds of Berkeley, Ed spots 15-year-old, a Eurasian girl, which means they ha- she has parents of European and Asian descent, a Eurasian girl, and if you look at pictures of her, the the Asian g- genetics greatly curb stomped the the white guy genetics. <laughs> a Eurasian girl by the name of Eiko Ku is is waiting at a bus stop. So this is Thursday, September fourteenth, nineteen seventy two. She's at a bus stop. She is uh, wearing a she's a slender and fit girl, and she's wearing a denim jacket, a green sweatshirt, blue jeans, and a black hat. She's five foot four and one hundred and five pounds. So a very, in, very physically intimidating young lady, yeah. very physically intimidating presence. I going to say that five foot four and one hundred and five pounds.
0: Yeah. Just like the mountain. It's, I think they call her the bump.
1: Yeah. The
0: speed bump. It's yeah.
1: Eko Koo was a very highly intelligent, skilled dancer in Korean ballet and was on her way to an oriental dance class in San Francisco. She had been practicing every single day so that she could perform at a trade fair festival in St. Louis in a few weeks. So she's running late for a dance class in San Francisco. She's standing at a butts, at a not a butt stop at a bus stop. Like I said, she's running late on this day. She was desperate and in a hurry, and she had very quickly made a sign uh, with cardboard and a marker and scribbled San Francisco on it. And this is normal. Then I know this sounds probably weird to. To us today, but this is normal. I'm in a hurry. I'll just hitchhike. This is what teenagers people did back then.
0: Yeah, I, actually, hitchhikers would um, oftentimes leave their cardboard with the writing on it on the side of stashed on the side of the road for somebody else to use. So that the next person could just come along, pick it up. That's how common. Yeah. This yeah, it's crazy. It's like having a directory. Yeah.
1: They're like, "Where I'm wanting to go. Let me go through the cardboard here. Yeah. The file system. They're like, oh, here here it is. Scranton, Pennsylvania.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's like the poster thing at the craft store where you're just kind of sifting through the posters with your fingers.
1: So she's not doing anything wrong uh, per the time period. You know. Right. 15, Korean ballet dancer on her way to a dance class at a butt stop. At a butt. Why do I keep saying butt stop? At a bus stop, holding up a sign for San Francisco. And Ed sees her. He pulls the car over in front of the bus stop and asks her if she needs a lift while doing his little watch trick. And Ed Koku is only 15 years old. It works on her. She slides into the passenger seat. Ed does his little double check the door trick to make sure it's shut and slides the tube of chapstick in, locking young... Akoku in without her knowing it. Kemper then pulls away from the bus stop and uh, actually pretty much immediately turns the vehicle in the opposite direction of San Francisco uh, and Akoku kind of immediately starts kind of freaking out and getting scared. It's at this point that he pulls out a 357 Magnum, which is basically a hand cannon from under his left thigh and pushes it into her ribs and tells her he tells her he's going to kill himself but he doesn't want to hurt her He just doesn't want to be alone. He wants somebody to be with him when he kills himself. Uh, He tells her that he's going to go somewhere secluded. That's all that's going to happen. He's going to tie her up, and then they'll go to his house, and it's there that she can watch while he ends his own life, and then she can just leave if she wants. So this this seems to calm her down a little bit, like, okay, well, I'm just going to have to watch this ogre kill himself. And Ed claims, you know, he just doesn't want to be alone in the last moments of his life. Now, even though she had ballet class, Eikoku agreed to the plan. Um, she had places to be. She agreed to the plan. He, we'll never know if it was because she was genuinely stoked, or it was be, or if it was because Ed was almost seven foot tall and had a three fifty seven in her face.
0: It, oddly enough, that that was a very common denouement to, to many Korean ballets was to witness a suicide, so you know. Especially North Korean ballets. Yes, yeah, she was getting You know, she was kind of still practicing, or at least maybe she thought. Eventually, Ed pulls into an isolated
1: spot in the Bonnie Dune area of the mountains above Santa Cruz and parks behind a tree near Smith Grade Road. Now, to this day, I've I've walked around all this area on Google Maps. It's still a heavily wooded area. Still, to this day, a perfect place for murder. Um, And if you go on Google Maps and look at this, the Bonnie Dune area near Smith grade road. It's a very, very secluded, very, very heavily wooded, almost like forest area, big lumbering, you know, trees with massive bases that have probably been there for 300 years. A mm. uh, very dense, very dark area because of how thick the, 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 vegetation and everything is. There are houses sporadically every, probably I would guess, I walked around there for probably about an hour just looking around. I I tried to find the location maybe where he pulled off, but uh, in my head, I picture barely even a road, more of a dirt path, right? Yeah. Back into these woods. Yep. Um, Probably not there anymore, but even to this day, there's very few houses
0: out there. Perfect place for a terrible thing. Once parked, Ed
1: tells Eikoku to grab the roll of medical tape out of the glove box. She does so. And why wouldn't she at this point she's convinced that he's not gonna hurt her, he's just gonna kill himself, which is also a bummer, I would argue, having to witness a suicide. And let's
0: just say you were you were ACO for a second, and um you know, there's the horrible thing that's about to happen, but you've also been sitting at a bus stop, and that probably wasn't the first time you've been sitting at a bus stop and you're like, This this cat's gonna kill himself. Guess who gets his car? <laughs> Um, yeah, that's a good. She probably witnessed seven suicides last week. Yeah, she has. She's <laughs> like, I'm gonna have an eighth car. Why have I been riding the bus? That's what she said to herself.
1: She probably, if she had a vehicle, she wouldn't have. She wasn't even running late. She had already in her head made up for the time that she was gonna have to have to watch somebody kill himself. She's like, shit,
0: I'm gonna get picked up. I've got to have three hours aside to watch somebody exactly. kill himself, and then I've got to get to San Francisco. It's very intelligent time management skills through the roof. So, you know, be prepared. Be prepared. So Ed tells her to grab the roll of
1: medical tape out of the glove box. She does so. He then unrolls it and puts a piece of it over her mouth so she can't talk or scream. Uh, Later in interviews, he'll claim that this was that she was like kind of joking around whenever he pulled a big piece of tape off. She said, my mouth isn't that big, kind of laughingly. And then he ripped it in half. I don't know about that. I don't know if I believe that. Mm. I think that she was probably scared. Then he orders her into the back seat. Now, keep in mind, she's still under the impression she's not going to be hurt. She thinks that they've come here. He's going to tie her up, and then they're going to go to his house, and he's going to kill himself. Whenever he tells her to get in the back seat, she's a ballet. She's a Korean ballet dancer. She's very nimble, um, very quick. She just throws one leg over the back seat and rolls over into it. So, no no problem for her. She's got tape over her mouth. Ed's big fat ass, however, was far too big to do that. He gets out of the vehicle, closes the driver's side door, and then walks around to the passenger side. But, op, whenever he grabs that passenger side door handle, it's locked. Oh, because... He had locked himself out of the car. Chapstick. It's at that point, Eko, Koo, and Ed make eye contact, and both of their eyes go... To the 357 Magnum that is still laying in the seat. Oh, I forgot about this. Ed is locked out of his car, and now Akoku is within arm's reach of the 357 Magnum. Ed is also unarmed. The keys, by the way, also still in the ignition. Akoku hmm. looks at him through the glass. They're making eye contact. It's like that Western standoff. Kind of, (laughs) you know. This could have been it. This could have been it. But Aiko was a naive 15-year-old girl. This is a child. This is a child. She believes Ed's not interested in hurting her. He's only interested in hurting himself. So Ed simply taps on the glass, points at the lock, and Aiko Koo reaches up and pulls the lock open and lets the monster into the back seat. With
0: oh jeez. Uh, that part always makes me so sad. Yeah. Just to think how close, how close and how innocent. You know, that that instant, that moment, that action says so much. Ah, uh, heartbreaking. Ed crawls into the back seat
1: after pushing the front beach the front bench seat forward immediately grabs the back of Aku's head with one of his massive gorilla hands and uses the other to cover her mouth and nose in an attempt to suffocate her. Ako puts up a fight, but she eventually goes unconscious. Thinking that Ako Koo is dead, Kemper then undresses her in the back seat and begins to rape her lifeless body. However, halfway through the rape, Ako wakes up to, head, to Ed's absolute horror horror. This is the first time Ed has ever had sex with a living human being. And he's horrified that she's alive. Jeez! Oh, kind of trying to uh, defend herself. Aiko, when she wakes up with this monster on top of her raping her, naked from the waist down. Uh, she does the only thing that somebody I would imagine in that situation that's mismatched to such a degree size-wise that she is. Uh, she grabs Ed by the balls. And starts to squeeze as hard as she can. Um, this doesn't stop him though. Uh, while Ed, while while Aiko grabs Ed by the balls, Ed wraps those big gorilla hands around her small little throat and squeezes as hard as he can. Uh, for as a for a moment there, there's a battle of grip. Ed's hands on her throat, her hands on his testicles. Both are squeezing with all their might. Uh, in the end, Ed would win though, and this time permanently. Aiko Ku is now dead. Ed then drags her out of the car into the dirt beside the vehicle and finishes raping her corpse. He says it takes about 20 seconds. Afterwards, he strangles her again with her own scarf one more time just to make sure that she's dead and then stands up, pulls his jeans up, dusts himself off, throws her corpse into the trunk of his car and slips back in behind the driver's seat, fires up the large V8 engine of the Ford Galaxy and pulls back out onto the main road. Uh, on his way home, he spots a small bar He's feeling thirsty and tired and exhausted now. The sides still stop. Uh, before he does so, he pulls off the side of the road and pops the trunk. He says he does this for two reasons. One, to once again make sure that Akoku is dead and that she's not going to come alive while he's inside the bar drinking. And two, to admire his catch like a fisherman. Uh, Ed's word's not mine. He says he admired his catch like a fisherman. Jeez. He then pulls into the parking lot of the bar, goes inside, and has a few beers. Afterward, out in the parking lot, he once again pops the trunk open and spends a few moments admiring the corpse. Uh, He also feels of it a couple times, he says, to see the temperature. Kind of odd. Uh, Then he slams the trunk lid shut, hops back into the Ford, and heads to his mom's, who lived at 609 Ord Street in Aptos, California. This place is still there. This is the place that she will eventually die at, too. And that address is 609 Ford, O-R-D Street in Aptos, California. So he goes and visits his mom. He claims it was to see if she, if he could converse with her without her being able to pick up on any anything uh, that he had just done through facial expressions and demeanor. And she didn't. As far as she was concerned, it was a completely normal conversation with her son. Uh, she didn't pick up on anything. It was kind of a psychological test, I guess, on his part to see if he could have a have a conversation with somebody that knew him well uh, and see if they could pick up on anything odd. Hmm. After this very brief visit with his mother, Clarnell, uh, it was about 30 minutes that he was there, he returns to his apartment in Alameda with akoku's body where he then packs it upstairs at 11 p.m. that night. What he did that night with the body was never spoken about, but we do know that the next morning, Friday morning, he calls in sick at work, so that he could take the time to dismember it. He spends that morning taking a koku apart with a saber, because he's a fucking dork, <laughs> a knife, and an axe in the bathtub of his apartment. Yeah, the only people that I know that own sabers have horrible body odor, play Dungeons & Dragons religiously, and still listen to bands like Disturbed and Papa Roach.
0: Well, there was a whole dynasty of people that, wore, that used sabers, too. I guess they also yeah. um disturbed didn't exist, yeah, and they did have body odor, most likely, so the only uh, thing that exists was the plague
1: <laughs> that was actually a metal time uh Ed claims that it takes him about four hours to dissect aikoku, and he says that it was very sexually arousing for him, uh. Depending on the interview that you're listening to, sometimes he'll claim that he had sex with the various parts of akoku Ku throughout the process of dismantling her. Uh, sometimes he'll claim that he did do- didn't. Uh, like I said, Ed talks a lot. Ed will also later claim that he ate a part of akoku Ku as well. This is where the he gets tagged with the uh, the cannibal kind of mm-hmm. aspect of of his murders. This is the only time, however, that he will that he will digest a part of any of his victims and this is also debatable some claim that he he claimed he said this for shock factor I see. Um, but what he says is quote i had cut pieces of flesh off that i had put in the freezer i cooked that flesh in a pan of macaroni with onions and cheese like a carrion i was just pursuing in an experiment in cannibalism Man. Um, unquote that Friday evening on September 15th, 1972, Ed takes everything but the head and hands of Akoku, uh, you know, the parts that are easily identifiable, and then scatters them at various locations in the nearby mountains. On Sunday, September 17th, 2 days later after he does that, Ed throws Akoku's head in the trunk of his car and travels 160 miles to Fresno in order to meet with two court-appointed psychiatrists in his ongoing effort to have his juvenile records sealed. So he's trying to... He started the process to get the murder of his grandparents off his record, or not off his record, but sealed, so redacted, right? So if you look at his record, it's in black. Mm -hmm. Uh, As far as anybody that looks into Ed's record is concerned, he's got a clean history, and he's doing the legal processes to do that. Now, the reason that he throws Ku's head in the trunk is because he said that his land his landlord uh, was, was nosy and he was afraid that she would come into his apartment while he was gone uh, 160 miles away here in Fresno uh, and find the head. Mm. He said he normally wouldn't keep heads and body parts in his vehicle like that because of the heat in Santa Cruz in California is so, so bad and it makes the parts decompose a lot quicker. At this meeting with these two psychiatrists, one of the shrinks rots. And uh, I kind of want you to do a fancy pants impression of a shrink talking and uh and I want you to read this bit up cuz it's kind of humorous now while this is being written you need to keep in mind that the head of akoku Koo is literally sweating and rotting in the trunk of Ed's Ford Galaxy out in the California heat in the parking lot while they're
0: riding this wow okay so I'm going to do um I'm going to do a, prof- a very professorial, very educated uh, black individual. Does that sound good? Yeah, that sounds good. Okay. Sounds
1: a little racist, but that sounds good. I'm, I mean, I'm trying to. I'm, I, I, in all my research, I never could come across the the ethnicity or the race of, of the psychiatrist that evaluated Ed Kemper. But, uh, yeah, I mean, kind of weird. Yeah, if you want to go with a. A black, individual, I guess. I'm yes, just sure.
0: going. I'm I, yeah. I'm I'm trying to leverage. I'm trying to lift some strategy that McDonald's seems to be using in their advertising, where all races are factored in. And there's been a lot of white people in this one. So ba da ba ba ba. I'm adding it. Okay. Okay.
1: Aiko <clears throat> Ku was Asian. You're Asian. Not you are Asian, but you're Asian. You're Asian. E U R A V Asian.
0: I feel like th- I could do an Asian accent. If you'd like, I could do that.
1: I feel like that's going to be way more uh, offensive. Just do a black guy. Okay, I'll do a black guy.
0: All right, here we go. If I were to see this patient without having any history available or getting any history from him, I would think that we were dealing with a very well-adjusted young man who had initiative, intelligence, and who was free of any psychiatric illness. It is my opinion that he made a very excellent response to the years of treatment and rehabilitation, and I would see no psychiatric reason to consider him to be of any danger to himself or to any member of society. and since it may allow him more freedom as an adult to develop his potential, I would consider it reasonable to have a permanent expansion of his juvenile records. I
1: like how you kinda went Eric Cartman yeah, I did. there on society. Exactly. Society. Society. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was You <laughs> also uh your default black person for whatever reason is always
0: Southern. Yeah. <laughs> even though this is in Fresno, California. Yeah, it's like a it's like the big chicken on Warner Brothers uh yeah. shows. I'll say I'll say like uh, you know. <laughs> Now, regardless
1: of the ethnicity or race of of the psychiatrist that wrote this, we can all agree that he was uh, pretty far off. Yeah, I'd say. On his judgment. Pretty far. (laughs) Free of any psychiatric illnesses. (laughs) It is my opinion that he has made a very excellent response to the years of treatment. Is of no danger to himself or any member of society. While this is being written, there is a decapitated head rotting in the trunk in the parking lot.
0: Yeah, that's a swing and a miss.
1: <laughs> After the appointment to determine whether or not Ed Kemper would have his juvenile criminal record sealed and granted 100% freedom, Ed goes out into the parking lot, pops the trunk on his Ford Galaxy of the psychiatrist office he had just left, and stares at the head of Akoku for a moment. And he says that he, at this moment he feels a huge sense of pride wash over him. Wow. Because he has tricked these two psychiatrists. He heads back to the house, heads back to or his apartment. Later, that very same, same evening, that same Sunday, Ed's probation officer stops by to check on him at his apartment. And, uh, Ed's probation officer takes a seat in the big comfy chair in the corner of his living room, uh, unbeknownst to his probation officer behind the chair that he's literally sitting in on the floor is the head of Ku in a hermetically sealed craft bag. The probation officer of this meeting feels that Ed is doing well and he has nothing to worry about. Everybody in this story is really bad at their job.:
0: Yeah, I, I
1: agree with. <laughs> Ed spends the rest of September, October, and most of November of 1972, that year, laying low, uh, drinking with the cops at the jury room, his only friends, and uh, working. He still cruises and picks up hitchhikers, but he doesn't murder for these few months. On November 29th, 1972, Ed now has a total of five murders under his belt. He is 24 years old. He is 6'9". He has a genius IQ. And at this point, he is tipping the scales at somewhere around 275 pounds. It is on this day, November 29th, 1972, that all of his psychiatric visits and hard work pays off because on this day... Ed Kemper's records are sealed and redacted, and he is now free to move about society in any way that he so pleases. No probation officers, no shrinks, no stipulations, no anything. He can now apply for any job that he so pleases, you know, counselor, volleyball coach, Applebee's, whatever. Whatever. Uh, the state of California just gave Jason Voorhees the key to the kingdom, and that's where we will pick back up on part three of Ed Kemper.
0: Man. Boy, I always complain in my heart and my mind spirit when I'm doing research and writing. I was like, oh, this takes forever. But as I watch you do these, you're worth every penny of that 150 bucks we pay you.
1: Bi-monthly. monthly
0: <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Well, I'm excited for part And today. $13 of that goes to my mem- my Patreon subscription. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, you know, gotta pay the bills. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I'm looking forward to part three. This is good this is good. I mean this is terrible. This is good. And uh yeah. So we'll end that.
1: We'll end this episode on that and join us here soon. Uh, if if you're actually not listening to this on Patreon, you're listening to the public, then all three episodes are are became available simultaneously. And you'll have a total, I would imagine, of about seven hours of Ed
0: Kemper to listen to. So join us for part three. Yeah, and if you're listening to us on Patreon, just suck it up. It'll be out. Part three will be out soon. Jeez Louise, stop complaining. Just kidding. We love you. Oh, Kent, also, wow, one more quick thing. I love you. What? What? <laughs>